All right, today I'm excited to have with me Marlena De Hierro. Did I say your last name correctly? Del Hierro, but that's okay. Oh, <laughs> it's because I can't roll my R's. Yeah, it's hard. It is. I'm, I've never been able to roll my R's. So um, thank you for helping me with that. Today I have um, Marlena, the spiritual dating coach, also known as the woo-woo the woo-woo guru of spiritual dating and she is here to share with me her expertise and experience in supporting individuals um, who are striving for that love and connection that they have dreamed of in their hearts and they're looking for as a part of living a fulfilling life mm -hmm. so i invited her here to share me her share with us today her secrets and her uh, tools and uh, her advice that she shares with a lot of her coaching clients. So um, I wanted to start off, <laughs> there's so many ways we could go, but um, I thought I would start off with just asking you, um, what have you found are some of the biggest obstacles that people come to you as they are looking for their divine counterpart, let's say? Mm, that is such a good question because and I'm really glad you said some obstacle because not everyone's obstacle is the same, but I am seeing some themes, especially among women. And I think sometimes the, the stuff with men might be a little different or a little more nuanced from that. So I think it shows up differently depending on who, who it is that we're talking to. But with women, I find that they are not finding exactly someone who's on the same page with them, who wants mm. the same things they want and or who can show up fully in the partnership the way they show up. And so yeah. there's this, um, a lot of men who aren't wanting the same kind of monogamous committed container relationship perhaps, or not wanting to take it to other levels of commitment, or, you know, there's this lot of um, kind of wishy, no, I wouldn't say wishy-washy, but they're just not on the same page. There's nothing wrong with what that what that particular person wants either just the woman yeah. tends to be in the in the wrong place so really the issue is not finding someone who fits it's uh screening out the ones who don't so there's sometimes a lack of boundaries or clarity for um mm -hmm. i would say for men too saying like you know sometimes just really enticing but they're so cute or they're so funny and they we get along so well and so then there there's tends to be this kind of compromise on the bigger vision or the shared values. And that's where people run into issues. And then it becomes like, well, it seems like, well, I can't find that person. Well, perhaps to part of part of the process is sifting out those who don't match your long-term goals. And that's really hard to do when you really like someone, you know? Yeah, it's almost like not knowing the way to have the conversation because most people, let's be honest, <laughs> Um, haven't been given the skills to like navigate a conversation like this with respect and without alienating people and just like making it comfortable and like okay for people to show up wherever they're at without judgment kind of thing. I would agree with that too, that having the conversation may feel awkward and it's not always clear if you're online dating what exactly people are looking for. There's a lot of oh, I'm up for anything kind of language on online dating apps or like, I'm just open to see where it goes. Or some people are very, very clear and direct. And I think we have a lot to learn from like the LGBTQ community. They're very blunt. Like this is a hookup or the, I'm looking for a relationship. <laughs> or, you know, like, and it's yeah. okay. And it's very normalized in that culture to just say, 
I want casual sex and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's where you are, it's great. If the other person's on that same page, I find yeah. straight people have a harder time having that conversation. <laughs> so because, yeah. why, why do you think that is? It's just the way we were socialized. We perhaps. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Perspective. I think some of it's conditioning, what's socially or culturally acceptable, and because the LGBTQ community is sort of outside already on the outside of the norm, they're kind of allowed to be uh, a little bit more, you know, um, honest. I think because they don't have that kind of. There's been has no been like conditioning necessarily, normalized conditioning, except for you know ostracizing, I suppose. So I think that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that they've had to come over overcome so many obstacles just about having the freedom to show up and the truth of who they are. They just don't have like time for like, that BS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't yeah. want to speak for them, but I have noticed that those conversations are much easier, uh, seem to be much more transparent, open, upfront, in the profile, you know, in that first conversation. They're very clear about that. And I think part of the reason that, um, People struggle. Women, I think, often think, well, if I come right out with what I want, and sometimes men too, they think they're going to scare the other person away. And a part of me says, well, good. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you should. Yeah. Save some time right there. Save, save everybody time and heartache by just being, that doesn't mean if you say I want to get married, doesn't mean I want to get married to you. It just means that yeah. on my dating journey, I'm here for looking for that kind of commitment. We'll see if it's you. And it, it yeah. you know, I'm not saying that I'm going to you know, I'm, I'm going to mold you into you being the one. And that's another yeah. problem though. Sometimes people do fall too fast and think everyone they meet is, is the next one. And that's not always, you know, we don't leave enough room for curiosity and time to really develop, to see if that person is compatible in all the ways. You know, one of my taglines is like helping women and then stop desperate dating. Cause when we get desperate, we start to start, we see what we want to see. And we try and fit them into what we think uh, is happening. And that may not always be the case because there's no breathing room if you're feeling desperate to really see the other person for who they are. Yeah. Gosh, this brings up so much while you're speaking. Like I can't even keep up with all of the things that are arising in me. So I'll try to grab just one or two. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like, wow, you know, it's like um, I think about men I've dated who aren't necessarily, haven't been transparent. And I can't necessarily blame it on them um, because it's been my experience that we live in a culture that um, creates situations where people don't feel that they can be honest or won't get what they want if they're honest. Um, So they show up uh, projecting one thing (laughs) and then, like the switch and bait. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah. And and we all put our best foot forward and that can last a long time. Sometimes the honesty won't show up for months and, and sometimes it's not even intentional. You know, part of it's not knowing yourself and really what you really want or need in a relationship to thrive and yeah. then you figure out, and that's no one's fault. That's just part of the exploration process. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying these, most of these patterns I'm sharing are seem to be highly unconscious. Mm-hmm. Like yep. people are just, that's just their, their MO and they don't even know their MO. That's just how they operate um, in it. Mm-hmm. So well, I'll share too. Yeah. I think you're right. A lot of this is unconscious and making the unconscious conscious. Like as I love Carl Jung's quote, like until we make the unconscious conscious, it's going to 
rule your life and you'll call it destiny, you know? So like really having to, this is why dating coaching, it sounds kind of cliche. And even I sort of almost cringed at the title at first. I was like, who would want that? But this is exactly why it's needed is to, so that the dating experiences start becoming less painful and more productive. And like, you know, you get closer to finding your person and yeah, it may mean saying some goodbyes or having, um, I don't want to say higher standards, just standards that meet you, you know, that, that are in alignment. Yeah. With your values. Mm -hmm. Um, so this leads me to the next, uh, question is like, there seems to be a lot of pain around dating. And I don't want to just say for women, because I think it's also for men as well. Absolutely. Yep. And so, do you yeah. notice a different, a different flavor of pain between men and women, or is it just different? <laughs> different. I don't know how to say that. How to ask that? I think the pain is universal. I think that experience is is not necessarily taking on a different flavor. I think it often comes from a lack of intimacy, a lack of connection. Um, just the lack of finding a long-term partner. There's a lot of loneliness going on on both sides. And I don't think either side realize how lonely the other side is too. And that we're all searching for that connection. We all got our walls up and are putting on a good face. And like, um, you know, I was talking to someone I was working with and um, she thought she had to sleep with a guy who was asking on her date. She was already preparing to sleep with him in order to have a sense of connection. I said, hold up, hold up. I was like, do you want to do that? She's like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, well then let's pause on that and consider for a moment that perhaps like he's also not necessarily wanting to sleep with you, but what if you offered cuddling instead as a a physical activity rather than going in for sex? And you know what? She did offer that and he loved it and that's what they did. And so like, it was a way to connect that didn't sort of violate their boundaries too soon or, you know, yeah. So again, being honest about what you want. I think that the, another person would actually be open and available to have that level of conversation. Um, and But the truth is, it's just, that's not the case always. Do you know what I mean? Right. So, um, yeah, I, I was just thinking about um, a date actually I had last night. <laughs> um, well, actually, it never, it never came to fruition because at the last minute, um, he said he had been called into work and was not available. Mm. And um, I just said, oh, that's too bad. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm disappointed. And, um, and I wish you would have let me know before the time we were actually meeting. And, um, mm-hmm. and so he said, well, you know, he gave me his reason that he got busy and he wasn't able to. And I just I said, okay, well, I understand, but um, I just don't have time for people that don't respect my my time or my schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so he probably right. saved me a whole bunch of <laughs> whole bunch of heartache there. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, so do you find that it's like I had, you know, it's been my experience, but I don't want to project this on everyone <laughs> that mm-hmm. people show you who they are from the get go, and it usually doesn't get better. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just is kind of reveals a lot about that person's, um, idea about, um, you know, commitment about their relationship to time and what they value and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, I would agree with you, Adrian. People often show you who they are. It's just most of us don't want to see it. Um, and that's not to say don't give people the benefit of a doubt. You know, I am, for example, chronically late to most things that aren't work. And like, that's just um, part of my cultural upbringing where time was a little bit more fluid. Things yeah. didn't always start on time. If they said they were at, starting at six, they usually meant eight or 10. Like, And that was yeah. normal. And so it's, it's not necessarily personal. I recognize that like American culture is very on time. And so I've learned to have to modify and adapt, right? And that's not necessarily, a, it wasn't necessarily disrespect, but taking into context too, like, you know, this, yeah. you know, what's going on. But I would say that, yeah, most people show you who they are and that doesn't mean people can't change. I wouldn't be in the business of coaching and counseling if I believe that. <laughs> yeah. So it really depends also on your level of kind of tolerance with the thing that they're doing that you don't like. Um, but also being able to see it for what it is and not taking it personally. Yeah. I love Q-TIP, this uh, little acronym that I've learned from a 12-step program. It stands for quit taking it personally. Most people are, are who they are, not because of you, but because of past conditioning or whatever. And to not take what they do as a slight, um, that's usually not what's happening. Yeah, as a reflection of who you are, but as a reflection of who they are. They are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, um, this this thing that stood out to me about what you said was um, not able to see it. Mm -hmm. So what do you think this is? And I know there might not be any quick or fast or easy answer, <laughs> but I'm still going to ask it. It's like, what do you think is this the root cause of this unwillingness to see what's right in front of you and like this allure this pull to to deny it or to sugarcoat it or make up a story about it well i think one is the optimist in me says this is kind of the, the innate trust factor we all humans have for each other where we believe what it you know we believe the best in people and that we're actually wired that way to believe the positive and the best because otherwise we wouldn't be able to like get in our cars and drive on a highway if we thought that yeah. other people weren't going to obey the laws and stay in their lane. So yeah. part of it is just innately we're sort of wired to trust each other, which is great, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really good for longevity in relationships to like think the best of your partner, think like they are doing the best they can. This a lot of this is not intentional. Again, going back to Q-tip. On the other hand, when we're totally like, uh, so, and then also the brain, when it gets into lust and in love feelings, it actually, yes. the disgust factor goes away. Like you just don't, you don't see clearly because the brain's not, is being flooded with feel good hormones. So you really yeah, yeah. can't see clearly. <laughs> and then there's the part of us that just really wants it to work out. You know, we just want it to work out. We're tired of being alone. We want this one to finally be the guy or the girl that finally becomes a partner, a companion. And it's just, we're tired of the dating game and we want it to work. And he seems really yeah. cute, or she's really funny. She likes what I like. And we just kind of ignore other parts because, because we're, you know, I think it can be that simple. We just want it to work out. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Um, now I'm curious to, um, to hear your opinion about, you know, I think I saw a statistic the other day and I don't know who produced the statistics, so I can't verify it, but I was just like, huh, that's interesting. And I didn't actually take the time to, to check it out. So it might not be accurate, but it was just something like 
over 50% of single men are choosing not to be in relationship at wow. this time. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of anything similar. I've heard the statistic that we have more single people in the U.S. than we ever have. That is the largest group now. They outnumber the marrieds. Single, yeah. being single is becoming more normal, more normalized, mm -hmm. and people are unwilling to settle or compromise or get into a relationship for all a myriad of reasons. But I think, you know, I wonder how healthy that is in some sense, because I feel like it's isolated us and we become more and more isolated and that, you know, it's not surprising that we have more and more mass shootings. Like, you know, you can't tell me those people's lives are thriving. They're in love relationships. Likely not. Like, that's not yeah. the story behind this. And I'm not saying everybody who's lonely becomes a mass shooter. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. No, right? but, um, that, that connection and community is vital to, to mental and emotional health. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we lose that connection, our lives aren't thriving. We grow in relationship. It's very hard to grow living the life of an aesthetic or bun monk or not, not, not to say that those are poor life path choices, but like, it's just, yeah, yeah. we learn more about ourselves when we're in a relationship with other people. And I don't know exactly what's the cause for this growing isolation and disconnection in first world countries or the Western world. Um, yeah. But it's certainly not helping us. I mean, I know that. And it, and it can lead us to making poor choices, ignoring red flags, all, et cetera. Yeah, because, well, I mean, I think one of the things was the pandemic, which really produced mm -hmm. a lot of isolation. And that was, like, um, confounded or added to by a dis dependence on social media mm -hmm. and, like, giving the impression that there's connection, but it's not authentic authentic connection as far as like a face-to-face -face. absolutely and i think we're still recovering from the pandemic in that sense and how to be social again and how to be in community how to give each other hugs like i went to places where you would always hug people and now you're lucky if you get a handshake if that you know yeah. maybe a raise of the eyebrows like as recognition and it's just yeah it's really <laughs> terrible yeah it's so it's so distant it's so distant. I think we're still trying to figure out how to be with each other in, in again. social spaces again. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, this all comes down to the idea of um, intimacy. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, in my experience as a coach and just through my own personal growth and my spiritual journey, that our ability to be intimate with another really depends on our ability to be intimate with ourselves and what that means on an emotional level. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious to hear your take or your insight or what mm -hmm. you've noticed about this for yourself or your clients. Yeah, I've noticed this too, like in intimacy um, into me, I see, you know, if I can't see myself clearly, then I can't share myself with you. And sometimes you can reflect back to me what's going on and that can maybe increase our intimacy. But absolutely, I feel like, I'm not saying that you can't be in relationship if you have no ability to be intimate yourself. Like I said, we grow in relationship. There's some things we can only see in relationship. That's why it's so yeah. necessary. So giving ourselves the grace, I don't have to love myself fully or know myself fully in order to be in relationship with another. I don't believe that's true. But I do believe yeah. that in order us for us to get closer, I have to be willing to see some stuff. I have to be understanding of more of my likes and dislikes and uh, what turns me on, what turns me off and be willing to explore all of that and share it with someone. It's scary and it's so yeah. fun. 
and it's so yeah. fun, you know, and discovering like, you know, the attractions of others. And, um, and I love, uh, I, I listened to this, I think, I don't know if she was a sex therapist, but she, anyway, she was uh, discussing sex and she's like, and also don't yuck on someone's yum. When you find out these things, like being non-judgmental and curious about it. Like, you know, we all have our little quirks in the bedroom and outside of the bedroom, like, and being just curious yeah. about them than judgmental. I like that. Don't yuck on people's yum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's just a, a great rule of thumb for all relationships. You know what I mean? Absolutely. We've all, had, we've all had opportunities where we shared something that was exciting to us and people go, oh. And it diminishes our excitement, right? When like you love a show and someone watches it, it goes along, which is not just like sexual stuff, but just normal stuff. Yeah. And then you're like, when they're not animated with you, you're kind of like, oh, this show's not as fun if this person's not laughing with me. And so I think part of also being in a relationship is like trying your best to enjoy what your partner enjoys. As long as it doesn't violate any of your boundaries or you find totally offensive, you know, like, you know, having that really shared excitement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in like taking pleasure or at least trying to find the pleasure in it to to enhance each other's excitement and pleasure in life is so important. Yeah, or finding pleasure in somebody else's pleasure, you know. Oh, yeah. What an idea. Yeah. You love dinosaurs? Tell me more. Like, what makes yeah. you love dinosaurs so much? Like, I'm curious to know about your interest in dinosaurs. I may not be that interested, but I love that you are, you know? Yeah. And take joy in that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, um, I think uh, where I want to go next is around attachment styles, you know, mm -hmm. because um, it's just you know, so amazing, like, you know, when we're born and we are um, having this like heart to heart connection with our caretakers and all the places we've been hurt and wounded and um, all the things that we're might not be conscious of day to day or interacting with people, but we bring with us. Um, and so what are some of the attachment styles and how um, can these attachment styles either help us or hurt us and i know that's a big question so just go wherever you're pulled mm -hmm. well you know the gold standard is the secure attachment style where you feel secure in the relationship you don't take everything um you know personally when someone asks for distance you're able to give it you don't chase um, i mean honestly how many people like and i know you don't know this but if you were going to guess like from the people you work with on a per, like on a percentage basis would you say we're gifted with the secure attachment style oh well i'm not sure you people are gifted with with it as much as they cultivate it um yes once they become adults and um noticing their own patterns um yes. and you know it, i think it's been really blown up on social media this whole attachment style you see tons of reels and tiktoks and instagram whatever's on yeah. this topic and um Sometimes I think it's um, a little misunderstood or very yeah. like it's become like this pop culture thing to talk about attachment styles. And I will say this is not a large portion of my work other than I would say that I am always leading people to be secure in their relationships and or secure in their boundaries and or secure mm -hmm. in their communication and all of these things because all of that is necessary for a thriving relationship. I wouldn't necessarily always call that, call it, call it that when I'm talking to a client per se. But you have yeah. your, so you have the secure, um, which I'm sure people have heard about, the avoidant, which everybody seems to really dis on, like 
<laughs> the person who pulls away seemingly yeah. and, and detached and aloof. And then you have the anxious type that is always chasing, often the avoidant. They say these two get into relationship a lot. And then you have your disorganized, which often comes as a result of childhood trauma, um, where it's actually a mix that can vacillate between anxious and avoidant. I was going to say, I think, I think everyone could probably get all three of those depending on the right. safety of the partnership. Well, yeah. And depending on how the other person reacts. So you can be in a relationship with a secure person to learn that modeling and become secure yourself. You can be in a relationship with an avoidant, which then makes you anxious because you're not used to that kind of pulling away and, and misunderstand it. You could be, you know, with an anxious and feel like, wow, you're smothering me and suddenly become avoidant. I mean, like there's, a, you know, and that, that, needs to be renegotiated sometimes in relationships too like how do you want me to respond when you're upset do you need a timeout? like talking about these things how do you get angry most people have really struggled with that what does it look like when you're angry what does your anger look like for women they're very out of touch with their anger oftentimes and so don't even know what their anger looks like men a lot of men need silence and walk away and come back later so they don't get explosive, you know? So like, I'm not saying that that, that is just a very generalized statement, but, oh, yeah. um, but understanding what happens when you experience fear, what happens when you get angry, what happens, you know, when these negative emotions show up, which they will, like, how do you want me to respond? And how can I be like understanding of your need in that moment? Um, yeah. Yeah. Conversations that don't happen until usually a, a blow up happens. <laughs> or something happens that disrupts the flow. Yeah, so really, um, so really part of, I don't want to say all of, but part of what you provide for people is like a blueprint in a way, or permission perhaps, to engage in these level of relationships before they, uh, you know, give their heart away. <laughs> um, and like, decide this person is the person for them if they're not able to find a way to connect and navigate in a relationship that works for both both people right and i think a relationship really needs to be based on shared values i think you can navigate through these kind of insecure attachments sometimes um what i find is a relationship not based on shared values doesn't tend to work out too well in the long term um, and by shared okay. values i mean yeah go ahead no, go ahead. Well, by shared values, I mean things like um, some of the biggies, right? A monogamy. Are we on the same page with that? Surprisingly, yeah, yeah. some people realize that they're not. And that may change yeah. later on in a relationship. Um, you know, what is the container of our relationship? Just a little bit more broadly, are we moving towards marriage? Do we just want to be whatever? Uh, Non-titled, living in separate homes? You know, do we want kids? Um, what is that? Does that look like, I mean, art is geography a big deal? Is uh, uh, in-laws and family a strong value? Or do you think, consider your friends family and visiting in-laws is not a thing? Like, what is the thing that's going, because, you know, just because I like tennis, that doesn't necessarily mean it's my value, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. taking care of my body is how that looks and how that takes shape is, doesn't matter as much. But if health is a strong value, then perhaps I need to be with a partner who also values health, however that looks, you know? Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. So, um, so, uh, so somebody comes to see you, whether it's a man or a woman, and they go, you know, I'm really wanting to find a relationship, you know, that lights me up and I feel good and safe in. And I'm um, usually a relationship people are wanting 
um, to find something long term, else they wouldn't have a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so, um, so where do you start with people? Like how, how you know, yeah. it, I'm sure it's different for everyone, you know, based on that person's particular situation. Um, well, it's but, funny that you yeah. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it's funny that you say that because they say I don't use the attachment styles overtly, but I certainly do kind of an attachment focused practice with people, usually in the first one or two sessions, where we really cultivate within someone's internal bodily experience the feelings of nurturing, mm -hmm. the feelings of um, that connection and love. And we also cultivate within them the, the feeling of wisdom and the feeling of protection and in recognition that all three of those need to be present in order to recognize them when they're happening and when they're not happening say them again so nurturing wisdom. nurturing protection and wisdom yeah oh okay yeah. and i use a bilateral stimulation technique um, through my emdr training to instill these three things within people so they get a visual they get a, a felt sense of it and that becomes uh, almost like a, a mantra I encourage clients to do throughout our time together and even beyond. I've had clients who had amazing experiences to start tapping these things in for manifestation and like calling, you know, what we do kind of a spiritual practice and calling in those qualities into their experience, even if they're not coming from a partner. It's been really fascinating. I've even been surprised by this work to hear people say, I've been tapping this in and you can't, you wouldn't believe what just start, showed up in my life. And I'm like, that's awesome because yeah. it's energetic. A lot of it's energetic, you know, like it's not just, <laughs> I was going to say, I would say all of it's energetic, but because we've been so disconnected from what feels good in the body, because many of us who have experienced trauma had to cut that off very early. And so to even ask someone what feels nurturing, what feels protective and what feels wise and that you get to have that every moment of your life and that you are the provider of that. And if something doesn't feel that way, it's not wrong. Maybe it's just not for you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you can identify what's actually missing. And so this fuzzy kind of something doesn't feel right. Like I was a real like feeling vibe kind of person. I still am in a sense, like something feels off, but like, I can now articulate it better. I can identify what, what it is actually that's off, what it is, because I'm understanding that I'm not getting this thing. I'm not getting this emotional availability that I need. And that, um, yeah. And to acknowledge it and give it, um, give it a authority in your experience, right? Instead of passing, mm -hmm. passing it or giving someone outside of you priority. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And that, and that, again, I like what you said, like, this is what I teach my clients is how to cultivate these things within themselves. So they're never feeling the lack or without. I know that sounds really lame when you really want a relationship, like, oh, goodness, but like, you got to sometimes partner yourself and be really proud of your ability to do that. Like, and so that you know that you're going to be okay, no matter what. So you don't stay in relationships that are potentially abusive or just unfulfilling, because you know, you're going to be okay, no matter what, because you know what, you have the tools to be okay no matter what. And so, yeah, that, that's a very empowering place to be. Yeah, and it's not out of need or lack or desperation, as you say, that I have to get it from outside of me. Um, I can't remember who, oh gosh, the prophet, who's that guy? <laughs> um, 
who wrote the prophet do you remember his name um yes well the prophet that is the book um <laughs> that um, is yes. the book yeah. but he talks about um two two pillars that are are separate and can hold the relationship um you know regardless of what title you put on it um but yeah that's that's super i super resonate with that um, yeah yeah, for manifesting anything in your life, whether it's a relationship or just a job, <laughs> a work life balance. Well, yeah, these practices yeah. that giving people have actually helped them in their career and other areas unexpectedly. And for me, you know, as the as the clinician or the coach, like, oh, like this is helping you in other areas, as it should, right? Because we attract what we are, not what we want. You know, there's that famous manifestation yeah. saying, and this sort of changes the vibe of who you are. I have to tell my coaching clients, like. I can't bring in your one. That's impossible. Anybody who tells you they can do that is, is lying. What I can yeah. do is, is for you to vibrate on the frequency where you're more likely to tune into a station that resonates or tune into a person that resonates. You know, like we're going to raise yeah. the vibe and, and you'll, you'll start attracting in experiences and people that match what you need and want. But this who, is, who this shows up? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, it's so powerful because, um, as a person that had a lot of imprints of feeling unsafe, but in my brain it was wired with connection and love, that that has been one of the sticking points, like to, to be able to distinguish like, oh, like that isn't actually connection or love, it's actually dysfunction and trauma, mm -hmm. Do you know? Mm -hmm. And your nervous system tells you, it doesn't lie to you about that. Like your nervous system will tell you when you're feeling unsafe. It's the ignoring of your own nervous system, you know, or when your nervous system just being overreactive based on some past baggage, perhaps the situation has something to do with it. I mean, this is why sometimes it's really helpful to have an accountability partner, a coach, just a good friend be like, I'm yeah. feeling this, this is a situation. What do you see? You know, just yeah, yeah. someone to give the like some perspective. Yeah, because you and that's what what you said was like an inability to see. It's like not having permission to say what you see because at the time it was um, like a threat to your connection to your life life mm -hmm. force. You know, because when you're little, that's all you got, right? And yep. so, well, that's what it appears to be. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, yep. You're talking about like gaslighting, essentially. Like you were told that you were safe when you were not. And so you begin to just not trust your own reality, your own experiences later. And part of that is like cultivating that trust within yourself. Be like, no, I think I'm, I'm, I, I know myself well enough, or I know what safety feels like well enough now to know that this is not safe or this is. And, you know, but yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I can only speak from my personal experience. And of course, I can share the experience I've spoken with to others and what they've been working through and, and facing. But, um, you know, there's like, I, it appears to me, and you can let me know what your experience is and what you believe or know, but it's like uh, there just seems to be... A, and I want to phrase this in a responsible way. It's like for the large degree of the population that I've worked with, there is a sense of self that was produced through manipulation and gaslighting, um, almost as like a, a cultural condition of our society. 
Mm. Um, what do you, what do you, what do you say about that, Marlena? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think perhaps, you know, I've seen some reels on TikTok and whatnot that say that the disorganized attachment style is probably like the least common. I sort of question. So you're speaking, so that, that experience that you're talking about, this kind of like theme that you're seeing of like people yeah. who have experienced childhood trauma or have adverse experiences and therefore come out with this constantly feeling like they're being manipulated or, or unable to see the manipulation or feeling, is that what you're saying that there's yeah, a lot yeah, of that yeah. actually? Yeah. I kind of, I can't say for sure. Cause I'm also a therapist. Yeah. So like I probably see perhaps, I don't want to say a skewed. I sometimes wonder if I'm just seeing everyone who has these types of issues or if they're just more prevalent than I thought. And I'm beginning to think they're probably more prevalent among the general population than not. Um, yeah. And that's, that's tough. And I, and, and given like the mass kind of trauma that things are going on all the time now, I sort of wonder what is that doing to our, our sense of safety in general, not just like in like public yeah. spaces, but like our sense of safety with each other. Do I feel it's safe to smile at somebody at the grocery store? Or is that going to be taken in a different way? Like, am I even making eye contact with strangers anymore? Like, I think this has really broad implications. It's probably too beyond the scope of this podcast to get into. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, yeah. I'm certainly not an expert, but like, I do think it's probably more, a little bit more prevalent than we thought. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know what the solution is other than everybody can no. coaching and counseling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, no matter where you're doing the work, whether you're doing it with a counselor or you're doing it with yourself mm -hmm. or, you know, in a community or, um, <clears throat> you know, it's like bringing awareness to um, your own sense of self and how safe you feel to be who you are which is really related to our sense of joy and freedom and self-expression and play and love. And mm -hmm. those three items, which you pinpointed nurturing, uh, protection and, and wisdom. Like that's like the basic, of, basic um, outline of feeling good in your body, which mm -hmm. hopefully is our birthright. Absolutely. And this comes out of uh, Laura Parnell's work. I just want to give her some credit here for that. She developed this sort of basic understanding. This is, these are basic needs that we all need as infants to survive, but we also need them as adults. And like when we yeah. find these kind of points of uh, sadness or disconnection, it's usually because we're not getting those things. We're not getting those needs met or they're not being fully present in our experience. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a really wonderful training I took from her and where I learned uh, this work. And I also will say that like um, a plug in for the, some other training that I'm doing that's really talking about how our feelings of fear, guilt, worry, doubt, anger, pretty much everything except for grief is part of that survivor brain. And that really um, hijacks our happiness and that mm -hmm. it is possible to start developing more positive positive thinking within ourselves positive beliefs about ourselves which then will influence our beliefs about others in the world in general because like the definition yeah. of trauma one of the criteria i'm sorry of trauma like ptsd is negative evaluation of self others in the world we make general mm -hmm. negative statements about all of these things and i know i'm hearing low-key ptsd in someone when they start talking about well all women are sucker all men are bad or um, my experiences are no. always, yeah, there's no objective evaluation or, um, cause you know, we have to be discerning. 
not everybody is like a saint, right? Yeah, but yeah, not everyone yeah. is bad either. Not all your yeah. experiences are bad. Not everybody in your life is bad. Not all men are bad. When I hear things like that, I'm like, okay, you've got some low-key trauma going on or low-key, you know, it may not be full-blown criteria for PTSD, but like yeah. those negative evaluations are kind of like a, okay, that's something we need to work on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this, um, I was talking to somebody about this today um, about, um, you know, I guess it could be called uh, dialectic behavioral therapy where, you know, if you, um, if you're saying to yourself, I'm a failure. I fail at everything. And then being able to talk to yourself, well, that's not true, actually. I'm pretty successful in a lot of areas of my life. So having that conversation, but the idea that the brain, um, as um, Dr. Brick Hansen, I can't remember the name of the book that he wrote, but he, talk, he talked about the negativity bias of the brain and how that was just a, like an evolutionary um, aspect of our brain that allowed those people that saw threat to survive easier than those mm -hmm. people that were like, oh, look, a lion, you know. <laughs> and that our brain is actually like constructed to see neg negativity. It is. And that we, when we know that, we can um, lighten up. Yeah. Well, yeah. And be more mindful and come into our bodies again and be grounded. Um, yeah. You know, our, the listeners didn't see this, but you and I did a grounding activity before we started. And I think that automatically sets you up to start seeing more positive things in your environment, not to, to lower that fight, flight, freeze, appease response, like to be like, I'm safe now, like I'm safe and I don't, yeah. I don't have to perceive threat everywhere. Yeah. It's um, such an interest, this um, self that we have mm -hmm. <laughs> is, is such a trip, the construction of the self and how it's made and the personality. Um, and, you know, that's part of my interest and what I study as far as like people saying, well, that's just the way I am. And I'm like, well, is it? <laughs> is it? Or is that like a choice your nervous system made for you that you thought was you because it created a sense of safety for you? And, and I think that's true with the neural networks. I mean, like, is it you or do you, have you just constructed a lot of neural networks that go to survivor brain, like instead of your sage brain? Where, the, where you yeah. experience wisdom, compassion, and connectivity. Yeah, so, and now that we know the brain is plastic, we yeah. actually know that you can change your responses and feelings and what you can develop self-control and self-command in your brain yeah. to start going down the highway towards that survivor part of your brain. And like, bush, you may have to bushwhack your way to the sage part and get, you know, get connected again to wisdom and source. Yeah. But it's there, everyone has it, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I would say everyone's going to have to bushwhack their way back to that because, um, sadly, it's just part of being a little kid and not having, like, you know, at full access to your prefrontal cortex and, like, you know, the context of what life's about and that we make up all of these stories and they're based on, you know, a little kid's brain, you mm -hmm. know, and perspective. And now <laughs> we're like, hey, wait a minute, that's not a true reflection of my relationship to reality and it's not serving me. And so um, mm -hmm. all of the self work, and I think part of the reason why we're talking about it is because it freezes up to show up in relationship in a way that's healthy and um, connective and um, truly um, intimate. Cause I think that's really what people are wanting. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is what everyone so desperately wants. Like they so want connection. And 
it seems to be really hard sometimes to get it. I think you're absolutely right. The self-work is important, but also like just hooking up with other people, not hooking up sexually. I mean, <laughs> just having a hookup now and then, you know, I yeah. mean, let's be honest. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, if that floats your boat, right? If that floats your yeah, boat. I'm fine. Um, but I think too, like just surrounding yourself too with, um, people you're willing to be changed by. Like anytime we're in a relationship with someone, there's a certain willingness to be changed. We are changed in our relation, in our friendships and our parental, everything, right? All of our relationships change us. And we sort of agree to get changed when we enter into a relationship, especially romantically. It's sort of like, I agree to be changed by you because you will be, you can't help it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and sort of that willingness to give in a little, not necessarily necessarily codependent. I think that word's got a lot of bad rap, but like you allow yourself to lean on someone and to be changed by them and to experience different beliefs and preferences and what have you. Um, I, I don't know exactly where I was going with that, but I think that's just so important, this willingness to sort of allow yourself to be changed by your community and then surrounding yourself with people who uplift you and people who... Yeah may have a different perspective it's so healthy to actually have friends who might have a different perspective because we don't always see yeah. clearly yeah well it's like um having a closed feedback loop versus having access to all that's possible which mm -hmm. includes different perspectives right yeah absolutely awesome okay so um so this back to this um relationship thing um it seems, and this, we can just wrap it up with this. It seems like we are going through an incredibly transformational time in the world that's affecting how people not only see romantic relationships, but how they see themselves and everything's kind of up in the air. Nobody knows quite what is what. And it seems like um, a bit confusing for people. And um, yeah. Have you, what, have you noticed that? Or is this like, like this idea of like, you hear a lot, this is kind of like a second thread, not to, not to overwhelm you, but as we have this like mass, uh, like review of like gender roles and like, you know, what's going on in the world and what is a relationship and um, there is like this idea of, um, the divine masculine and the divine feminine and, you know, where do those parts fit in? And I know that's a lot, but just take what resonates with you and run with it, would you? Yeah, sure. I was just thinking about hyper-independence on both sides. There's been a lot of hyper-independence for both men and women. I mean, women, luckily, you know, they can have their own bank accounts now and they don't, quote unquote, need men. And like yeah. men have always, you know, there's always been a pay gap. They've always done well. They've always been a more provider position in general. And I know that a lot of men don't want to be the sole providers for women anymore. And so there is this kind of like, I don't think it's just about economics, but like yeah. there has this been like drive towards hyper-independence from both sides. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, I don't know, it's like we're renegotiating what relationships look like and what is, what feels good, right, fair, equitable, and, and, and it's okay if it looks traditional. I just want to like normalize like that every couple's different and like yeah. what works for one couple may not work for another. And we can't play the comparison game with that. Like, 
like look at how they manage their money and their children, you know, whatever. And that, yeah. that just may not work for, you know, and recognize it's okay to be individualistic with this um, or, or individual in the couple sense. Um, but yeah, this is kind of a, also a mystery for those of us in this field too. Like, how do we move away from this hyper-independent and um, negotiate like what our couplehood could look like or a relationship that could look like that feels I don't want to say equitable because it, it may not be equitable in terms of like, you know, it may, people give in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Because I'm seeing too a lot of like fed up women who are tired of doing all the, who also now have a full-time job and do a bunch of the childcare and the household work by themselves, you know? And I think we're getting out of that, but there is a, it just seems that that obviously is not going to work. One parent's going to get burned out. If that's like the, you know, or a person spouse in that relationship. And again, yeah. I want to look to our LGBTQ community and be like, they have really come up with some innovative ways to be in relationship because they've had to think of what their had roles to. are going to be. Yeah, they've had to. Yeah. And so I think the straight community is still working on some stuff. Um, yeah. It's true. And just like the whole, you know, uh, we had Mother's Day yesterday. And um, I was reading a quote. Do you know that woman, Jeanette McCurdy, who wrote that book called I'm Glad My Mother Died? She was a childhood Hollywood star. Mm. Yeah, so she was, um, and there was this quote about mothering, and it was kind of like being cheeky and sarcastic about, you know, like there's nothing more important than a mother. If you are not a mother, then you're just a mere peasant, and you cannot relate to, you know, the grandeur of, you know, being a mother. But anyway, she was trying to take take the piss out of her mother and the role that her mother took um, that she used to manipulate her daughter um, in really hurtful ways. But um, the whole idea that we have this archetype of what a mother is and that women have bought into it, like I have to work full time, I have to take care of the kids and I have to also do this, these other things. Like, like nobody can hold that weight realistically and the idea that that's a good mother is really hurtful to both men and women and to children and like the family in general oh my gosh yeah yeah, yeah. it creates unrealistic expectations talk about burnout talk about building resentment i mean talk about divorce right there yeah <laughs> coming down the pike yeah no absolutely and it, it and, and it's like you know talking about these things like what do you expect like you know I find that some couples, some go to marital counseling and work through these issues, but a lot, a lot don't because they don't know how they're going to respond necessarily when those, so that some of us just don't know until you have a kid, like, well, how the parents yeah. are going to go. And I feel like we're going way deep into like just beyond dating now, but like, yeah. you really talk about these things in the dating stages. Like, what do you yeah. want? How, how, you know, and asking what was it like in your own household, knowing how you grew up? I mean, do you expect, you know, your mother to pet the tortillas every morning fresh? Like, cause I, I'm not doing yes. that. <laughs> yes no <laughs> but I mean I think people bring all of this unconsciously and then net, don't have the tools or the space to actually have these discussions in ways that um allow both people to decide like is that really what I'm asking you to do and I don't have to get married to you and wait five years and then get divorced because you didn't meet my expectations you know mm-hmm mm-hmm and this very interesting statistic, I remember learning this in counseling, my counseling education, I thought, oh, this is interesting. With every subsequent child, a couple's happiness goes down and down, like, less. And I was like, wow, 
you know, what is that? What is that about? And uh, about, yeah. And no, but I, I mean, that, that, go ahead. Oh, and that's the one of the happiest populations of people are single women, older single women. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, I just want to say that um, that this idea of like the whole idea of a relationship as a container of care, nurturing, um, safety, um, getting to know oneself through the mirror of another person, love, of course, to experience and share love in a safe way, and that the, the family, this container that we have known as the family is, is like that mothering that's contained in a relationship can't be given just to one person, like the mother. It, it's really everyone in the family. And it's like, uh, at the same time, there's this distortion, like, well, it's only because of the mother that we can have love, that we can have connection, that we can feel supported. And that that's been such a disservice to people's inner psyche of like putting it all on this one role. Likewise, for men as as fathers, we do that. We do our own version to them. <laughs> we know our own version to to what it means to be a good man. So mm -hmm. all of these internalized archetypes or stories we have um, are seeming to be rewritten or needing to be rewritten um, in order to, for people to um, find that that spot of rest, you know, and peace that really, you know, that's what we're looking for in relationship. Yeah. Totally. I mean, recognizing that we all hold within us, like all the roles, like, and that, um, the roles are shared and, and couples are happier when they have more diversified gender roles. Like there's been some research on that and that, um, little boys, you know, have show more emotional expression and sensitivity when they're young. We sort of condition them out of that though. Like, Females actually have less of that expression when they're young, but are allowed more as they grow, allowed more expression. And then aren't, and so but they have a ton of nurturing within them. I mean, of course, like, like it should be, you know, we should be recognizing all of each other's maternal energy. As my friend says, it's not happy Mother's Day, it's happy maternal energy day. Like, yeah, <laughs> who said that? Your friend? Oh, one of my friends, yeah. And I was like, I love that. It, it is a maternal energy that we all have. Yeah, we all do. And I, I like that, you know, it's like, um, like yesterday I said, happy Mother's Day to all mothers and all those who mother, because we all mother in some, some degree. And um, yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's this, um, it's this space of nurturing, which is community, whether it's an individual relationship in a family or a bigger community and starting to see that, you know, whether it's like a national community <laughs> and feeling safe in that relationship. Um, well, and, and this was a light bulb moment as you were sharing, like the gift and opportunity in this time of having more singles outnumber the marrieds is like, this is a time to cultivate community outside of just one-to-one -one relationships because actually married couples are often get isolated because they rely on each other solely for all of their needs to be met. And that's, that's impossible. Like that's impossible. And that's lonely. Yeah. And, and you will be disappointed multiple, like over and over again, if that's the case. Like community is important, married or single. It's unrealistic. It's unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah, but this is a great time for singles to recognize community and build community outside of one-to-one -one intimate relationships. Like this, 
prime time for that because there's so many of us out there. <laughs> it's happening. Hey, um, I just, um, I'm watching the time and I think that's, we're hitting um, just about an hour. So um, I just wanted to ask you, were there any parting thoughts that you wanted to leave us with? And if not, you know, that's fine. I just wanted to make that available and let uh, the audience know that's listening that um, all of your contact information will be included in the description of the podcast so you can find out um, how to contact Marlena and find out more about the work she does in her spiritual dating counseling. Um, mm -hmm. And I also just wanted to mention that to give you a moment to reflect if there was anything <laughs> that you wanted to share. And if yes. it. yeah, yeah, there is something I wanted to share because I feel like singles are um, really caught up sort of with the timeline and, and put a lot of pressure on themselves to like find the one and really start to yeah. question where they are in life with their age and all these things. And I would like to say, you know, I'm really loving Dr. Michael Newton's work. He wrote Destiny of Souls, Journey of Souls, and he talked about, you know, soul groups and, 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 and this is more on the spiritual guru side, but that we don't really have to do anything to make these people come into our life per se. Sure. We can be better prepared, more emotionally regulated, more financially stable, all those things. And that's great. And that's work that you should be, be the person you want to date. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. wrong. And yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you don't have to earn it. Like we don't have to earn love. And sometimes like, our people show up regardless. I think more of the work lies in maybe, um, well, I mean, some preparation, right? But like, this is not, we don't have to force or effort our way into it. Like yeah. I, this whole, let it come, let it flow, you know, like let it come and, and don't worry about it. And then throw the timeline out the window. You can meet your soulmate at 65, 75, 15, like let go Whenever. of this yeah. preconceived notion that like, it has to happen on this time frame. I think that creates a lot of unnecessary suffering. Marlena, are you suggesting that there might be a higher plan and order for our lives that our e ego mind not might not be privy to at all times? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah, there's a you know, part of our learning curve as a spirit and a soul on the planet. It's like, you know wrestling with ourselves right in a way to like realize who we are and who we aren't and that sometimes we're so attached that we're blocking our own good including you know that one person that will fulfill us yes and i love a uh, coach Shirzad, this, this other coaching program we're giving he says you know regardless of the outcome how will i want how will i have wanted to conduct myself in this process in whatever it is he's not talking about single and dating but i think of that how will i have wanted to conduct myself what I wanted to say in an abusive really chase every man I thought was, you know, no, of course not. Like I would have wanted to cultivate relationship. Oh, you know, everyone has to answer that question for themselves, but I think it's a good one. Yeah. How will I want it to, at the end of my life, how do I want to have conducted myself throughout my life when in these times of stress or singleness? And what kind of person do I get to be? Mm -hmm. You know, because, I mean, a lot of times we're attached to the outcome, but it's like, you know, it's like a lot of times the, our brain's outcome is like not attached to reality. It's like, oh, well, when I get to be the fullness of who I am, then automatically the people that resonate with that will be pulled in just by a force of nature. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly, I think I think that's absolutely true. And the magic starts to show up and the world begins to feel magical again. And now we're into sage brain and now we're into you know, flowing or going downstream instead of swimming upstream. 
Amen. Marlena, sister, counselor, lover, <laughs> guide. Thank you so much for being thank here you. today and sharing your wisdom and your insight and your practice. And um, again, uh, all of our information is located in the description. And um, yeah, so um, hopefully uh, I will, I'll let you know when this is posted and uh, you can check it out and share it with your peeps. And um, all right, until next time, thanks for joining us. And um, please you, remember what a treasure you are. And bye for now. Bye, Marlena. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.